It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Don't forget to check out our corporate career boost recruiter, and even student memberships at cbock.com. Hello, this is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, workplace communication and negotiation coach, as well as industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to cbock.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at termboot.com. Also on the panel today, we have Trip Braden of Strategic Performance Partners. Trip's an executive coach, leadership team advisor, and the 2021 one of the top 30 global diversity and inclusion influencers. Our topic today, how industrial organizational psychologists can enhance the employer brand to attract and retain talent. And this is really getting your champions, employees to be champions for the company to be able to attract that talent and to even get them to be spokespeople, whether it's on a form of social media, whatever it may be to help in the recruiting efforts. So Tripp, I'm going to turn it over to you to get your initial thoughts on this. And please, if anyone wants to come up, please feel free, raise your hand. We'll also invite people up randomly, but please uh, come in and join the discussion. Tripp, over to you. Thank you, Jeremy. It's an interesting question, isn't it? If you think about it from the point of view of what people are looking for in their jobs and roles, and then how do you support those kinds of things? Statistics show us 70% of employees would be somewhat likely to leave their jobs if they don't get employee development. Now, what's interesting about that is really that's a huge number. If you think about three quarters of all the people who work for your organization would consider leaving if they didn't see what they needed in their training and development areas uh, or leave a role because of the opportunity for new training. So if you're looking at a, an opportunity to sell your internal people on why OEIO is so critical to what we do and how it's critical to the organization's perpetuation and sustainability. I think that's a good argument to be made. Um, the other issue is, though, I, I think I would I would tend to go the, the statistics I got from from a number of different sources. I would also say that what I discovered over the years in managing large organizations is a lot of people don't understand what what training is. Now you think it's very obvious, but it, it's not as obvious if people don't understand what the distinction is between development and, and training and these other things that we do for them. So part of our roles are also going to be as champions internally and externally to our for organizations to educate people to what they should expect and what it looks like. You know, is coaching training? Uh, you ask that question, over 60% of the people you ask that question to say, no, it's not. So I just think what we have to be aware of, and I'd like to, as we go through this program today, is we realize a lot of because we're immersed in it, we're not taking it the perspective of the typical employee on the front lines, uh, the new employee or someone who's working on an internship. And part of that is our job. And we can be those champions to educate people to what they're gaining in their experience here versus somewhere else. So that would be my thought is not everybody knows what training is, especially if it's in coaching or if it's mentoring. Uh, and a lot of these kinds of uh, modalities 
allow us to do a lot of different things, but we need to realize we have to educate as well as uh, do the work itself on what to expect in these kinds of relationships. So back to you, Jeremy. Jeremy, you there? Caught Jeremy sneaking out and coming back in. So anybody have any, what do you guys think when it comes to, let's, let me ask you a quick question. Does, do your companies now currently train you? Raise your hand. Let me know how many of you are consider you get training in your role currently. Clap for me if you would. I want to see how many people are getting that now. Now let's go the other direction. How many companies that you work for now or clients don't really educate or train you at all? They kind of expect you to spend your own money on doing this. Interesting. So you're either getting some training or getting no training. Is that what I should uh, infer from what we just saw with the what, what, when I raised our we raised our hands? Anyone have a comment they'd like to share with us? on the platform about some of the things they're seeing because I think this is a really hot topic and it really is a differentiator for you when talking to people, especially if you're looking for your first job, about how, what your role is as an advocate. I think as an OIO person, you need to have that kind of capability and it's something that most people don't realize they can be good advocates for things, even if they're not completely on board yet with the role. So, um, I just I'd like to get some thinking on how how do we change that and I'd love to hear from somebody uh, what they're doing currently in this kind of a thing are, are you guys championing the fact that you're training and developing people or what are you championing and I'd love to see anyone like to come up to the stage let's go over to Linda Ann for a response to that as far as the training and recruitment and people not really understanding what does that mean for them when I would recruit one of the and it was it was a golden recruiting tool, but I really worked with the company to make sure that career pathing and career development was part of the process for just about everyone. And, and when I would have those screening phone calls and things like that, initially, I wanted to know where they wanted to go and what was the next step and to let them know that that was something that we focused on. Because, you know, as an organization, if your people don't see their future with you, they see it somewhere else. And so the, even from the day that you start talking with a company, if they're not mentioning the fact that they do career development and want to see you grow within that organization, then, then that's, that's bad for them. You know, that's really their retention issue. Um, so... I think that everybody should have that understanding <clears throat> when they start the conversation with a company, you know, what are your career development opportunities and, and where can I go and grow here? And if they don't have good answers, you know, th that's maybe not a good match because I think the thing has shifted right now. It used to be, well, companies wanted to know, well, what can you do for me? And that's not the question anymore. It's a very two-way street. What are we going to do for each other? And and you need good answers for that, and you need to be thinking about that long term. So, my two cents for the morning. That's worth at least a dollar. My onboarding to a job long, long time ago consisted of me sitting in a room by myself, and they popped in a in a video for me to watch. It was actually a VHS tape long, long time ago, and I watched the video, and they said, "Okay, that there's your there's your onboarding." And of course, we look at this difference between you know what, what's the real difference between onboarding and orientation, and 
what is the what is the block? I have my own thoughts on this. I want to I want to get thoughts of, of of other people. What is the block that organizations have with with taking the time up front to create an actual onboarding experience for their employees rather than uh, just have it a transaction? So we have this difference between a uh, a transaction. So I would also like to get. Does anyone want to share either a, a good onboarding experience or a bad onboarding experience because that does have a lot when we're talking about people being advocates for the com- for a company brand there's got to be a starting point where it's i love this company and you will too because when i first came on this is what happened and i immediately felt xyz and i was prepared to hit hit the ground running um so let's get a hand raised i will say this if you go I do have, uh, I don't know if it's a 10 pager, 15 or 25, I can't recall, but I have a, I, I wrote a guide on how to onboard people to, to create a, an experience. I forget the title of it. It's been a while, but it's on, if you go into open resources and shop on the CBOC page, it's a free download. I think it's a free download. If not, I'll make it a free download. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a put together guide for that, for that experience. Um, Let's get either a hand raised or we'll go to Roxanne. Let's go to Roxanne first for that. Hi, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, cool. So going along with the training and development, I believe, uh, you know, for the longest time, there wasn't any research on training. But now that there is quite a bit of research organizations just don't know what all it entails. They think of it as an afterthought because training and development is the first thing that's cut in the budget when they need to cut. Um, Most people in organizations just think it's a set of e-learning activities and that there is no human element in the training, but that is completely wrong. People learn best by experiencing things with other people. Some people can read and interpret things and digest it all perfectly. But I mean, that's probably a small subset of people. So we need to incorporate and actually practice what we're learning in these e-trainings together on the job. On the job experience, lets that person know, hey, this is exactly what I'm going to do. So I need to know this rather than watching a ton of e-learning videos where it's not even applicable to the job. Roxanne, what do you see as the role of the supervisor or the hiring manager in that in that process? Depending on how the organization is laid out, the hiring manager and the supervisor, they should be in communication with each other. The hiring manager should have a checklist, you know, this is all they need to do, but that supervisor is one that needs to take that hands-on approach and actually, you know, welcome them into the team after the hiring manager is done. And it's a just constant communication between each other. They need to have a seamless process. So thinking about continuing with that thought, Roxanne, what's the, the WIFM, right? What's the, what's in it for me, for that hiring manager, for that supervisor, what should ideally, what should their mindset be? Because they're going to have to take their, oh my goodness, their time and they're going to have to interact with their new employees. What should their mindset be? And what's in it for them if they do a good job at that? Right. So what's in it for them is 
if they do it adequately, that person will bring more strengths into the business. It will help level out their load of work, specifically the supervisor. It will take more off of his plate knowing that he can trust somebody else to do this job. And given that environment, the trusting and welcoming and letting them explore their um, role, they will take care of their job and even more so because they feel welcomed and embedded into the culture. I love that answer. And what better way? It's almost like when you go to a job, when, when you're in a job interview, I, if you do it, if you do a really good job and if you're talking to the person who's going to hire you, you want them to know that you're going to be an advocate for them, that you're going to make them look good, that you're going to justify to all their peers that they made a good decision hiring you. That's, that's ideally. And at, at, it goes back to that because what better chance for that, that hiring manager, that supervisor, if that wasn't done, because that's often not done to be able mm-hmm. to start those conversations, not saying, Hey, are you going to make me look good, but really start to build uh, an alliance and advocate and, and be able to start to have an adult to adult conversation with your new hire rather than have it be, which it all too often, I believe is, it's, it becomes this adult-child conversation, an adult-to-child relationship where I'm above you, X, Y, Z. Of course, there's a chain of command and a hierarchy. That's okay. But adult-to-adult conversations. I, so, yes, I, I love what you said about the importance of that. Um, let's go. I just looked down at my phone and see these hands raised. So let's go, um, let's go to Trip and then Trip. I'm going to leave it to you to throw it to either Linda, Ann, or Brandon who have their hand up. Thank, thank you. I had a problem with my um, phone, so I had to go off to another iPad. Um, it's interesting because I think one of the things I'm hearing from everybody else is, should we be standardizing some of this? And the other part of this is, are we missing an opportunity to personalize it? So, for example, every company makes mistakes at the beginning of the process. Sometimes it's easier to share those mistakes because and, and, you've been through it yourself. Remember what it was like when you started. Um, I had a client once, and it doesn't matter what level of organization you're at. This was literally the number two person in a company, and he had nothing to do on his first day at work for lunch. And I think one of the things is we should have processes and procedures to help people better understand these kinds of issues and and understand the other part of this, and it's getting more and more important, is that initial connection with that manager is made when they're onboarding. So ultimately, the other part of that is uh, I've seen companies say, oh, yeah, take your person to lunch. And then they won't reimburse you. Uh, so really, how serious are about, they about doing these kinds of activities? So think about how do you standardize those things. And I'll go to Brendan. He had his hand up before me. Um, but I, I think the other part is understanding the value of that personal connection. You know, telling them about, a, a, you know, even sharing a horror story the first week you were there. Uh, I had a person once not get paid. And uh, that was very embarrassing, as you can imagine. And I wrote a check and paid them. <laughs> And I think part of that idea, and not because I'm such a great guy, I just didn't think it was right that the person could go two weeks without a paycheck. And then I went in and saw the treasurer and said, how did this happen? It never happened again, by the way, because we have a new treasurer. Uh, But part of it is understanding how hard it is to start in a job and how much easier it can be if we're human to the people we're interacting with and we take care of them. And it doesn't matter how big or small your company is. But you've really got to get this down right because that first week is that critical element that builds the foundation for the future. It also, weirdly, I think statistically would say 
if they have a bad first week, they're never going to refer anybody to their own co that company ever. People don't give them a lot of experience time. So uh, let's go to Brandon. You raised your hand. I'm sorry I got Jeremy put me in front of you. So go ahead, please. Uh, thank you so much, Tripp. I, I greatly appreciate that. And, and a lot of what you touched on is actually things that I actually want to talk about. So I did undertake a more recent project with the client where they wanted to, you know, completely revamp their onboarding experience. And these are just some of the things and I made sure I wrote them down. Um, you did talk about the welcome lunch, but again, the welcome lunch is only worth it if the company is going to reimburse them. It, you know, otherwise it's just two coworkers going to lunch. It should really have that onboarding experience where the it is a company event the company will reimburse you for it so that's that's a big one another thing that was implemented is a, a buddy system where you know when you come in you're onboarded and this is your buddy that you have at the organization so if you have questions um that you that you need answered or you need just guidance or someone to help you through this this new job experience and uncertainty you this is your go-to person and they will be there to help you out. And obviously we uh, have a program for that to make sure that this isn't just random people who don't want to do it. This is people who want to dedicate their time towards doing this. Uh, and then the, one of the other things that I, that was something that we implemented that I think was so important. And we're talking about a company that's around uh, 200 employees is that, you know, the CEO is readily available. So something that this is one of the ideas that I pitched was once a month, all the onboard, you know, all the recent onboards, you know, it's once a month or once every two months, depending on how many people have been hired. Uh, the CEO sits down and answers those employees questions about, you know, what is the future of the organization? How did you get to where you are now? And it's really that personal touch where, oh, wow, the CEO really cares about every single employee and is willing to sit down and answer these types of questions. So again, from a consulting approach, these are some ideas that I've done and actually implemented, and I've seen very positive results. And again, going down the IO psychology track, we do 30, 60, 90 surveys to make sure, how did you feel about the onboarding experience? What could we fix? Using that data to then make it better because it is a learning process. And sometimes some of the things didn't go as well. So how do we make it better for this person moving forward and better for anyone who is onboarded in the near future? So just some things to throw out there. Brendan, I love that. And I'm going to cut in here because <laughs> I like to do that. It's it's so vital. And what you mentioned, having a, like an employee advocate system, a buddy system, a mentoring system, Having that, that is so valuable. When we onboard people to organizations, one of the biggest things that prevents people from being able to hit the ground running and from not having uh, the confidence and from also missing a lot of the things that they need to know is because they're constantly faced with uncertainty in the back of their head. Uncertainty with anything. It's you know new people, new job, new roles, new expectations, new environment. And how can we reduce that and give a sense of clarity and understanding? And that is that mentor system, sitting down, having lunch with your mentor. But there's all, and there's also coaching involved because we're looking at really how throughout the entire employee life cycle, how can we get these people to have an emotional attachment to the organization? Affective commitment, strongest form of organizational commitment. How can we get, I'll say it again, because I like to repeat myself. How do you get employees to have an emotional attachment to the organization. And that is a great way to start doing that. And to be able to coach these advocates, not just throw them together, but to coach the advocates on 
uh, asking the right questions on digging in and finding out what, you know, you're a new employee, I'm your advocate, I'm going to tell you a couple secrets that aren't necessarily secrets. What are your passions, ambitions and talents in doing that and inviting that person to even, I mean, we, we've all heard of managing up, but what about managing up in a sense of maybe coaching that new employee on in a non-coaching kind of way on how to be an advocate for the mentor? I know it's like a flip-flop here, but that's a great way to coach employees on how to start getting advocates for themselves within the organization. Because if they can have these informal coffee chats with a mentor, with an onboarding advocate, that is a huge way for them to start to understand the company politics and X, Y, Z. I believe, Linda and you had your hand up. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, pardon me, I've got an experience um, similar to Brendan's that, you know, first we would have, um, we would encourage people from the website or whatever to, before they even apply, to reach out to someone within the organization and had a position that they wanted and to just meet them for, you know, coffee or happy hour or something to find out more about the company even before they start. So they, they understand the kind of the environment and culture. Once somebody came in to the organization, we would have them their, their first morning, we would have a reception with donuts or bagels or whatever, where everybody came down and um, got their donut, but it was there to talk to the new employee. And I would make sure that, you know, if I had learned something about them, whether they were a skier or they were, you know, liked music or they played in a band or whatever it was, I knew who in the company, you know, had those interests. And I would say, did you know so-and-so so that they knew who to talk to about a commonality? In addition, they were paired up with an, what we called an internal mentor, um, who was somebody who I called their thousand question a day person for the first two weeks. Um, but it was a way, it did two things. It um, gave them someone who could, they could ask, you know, how, where do I find this file and, and all those kinds of things. But it was a longer term and we had an outline of what those responsibilities were as that, that mentor. And it was also a training ground, training wheels for someone who, thought they might want to be a manager someday or someone who thought they might be a mentor, want to be a mentor someday. And so it was a way for them to commit to it and to uh, get their feet wet a little bit of what this might be like. And that mentor, also, that mentee also understood kind of what the expectations were for that person. And as the time went on, you know, it was, you know, if you're going into this meeting and you need to talk to so-and-so, make sure, you know, they're a numbers person or, you know, they don't approach them this way. It was really a navigating process. Um, and then on top of that, there was, you know, a very formal mentoring process. Um, and in addition, you know, that, that uh, internal mentor, mentor would also help them understand what their 90, how to set their 90 day goals and what that might be like and to get them all to really navigate the company. And they were to meet with them once a month and, you know, they were their buddy to go to the happy hours with or whatever it was. But yeah, they were not, they were not left to their own devices. And I had people who would say, wow, you know, last three companies I was at, all they did was sit me in front of my computer and say, here's your password or whatever. And so there's, that makes a huge difference. And I would always follow up with them. 
after a week or two or a month or whatever and say, so is this what you expected? I would do the check-ins with them to make sure that there was no bumps in the road that, that they were unhappy with at that early level. Linda Ann, love, love the check-ins and love the temperature checks. I'm listening to what you're saying. And I, I, ended up, I posted in the group for today on the, uh, the CBOC.com group, what makes an impactful, uh, impactful onboarding experience. Feel free to pop in there and share your thoughts. And also, you know, I'm a big, everyone knows I'm a big fan of action items. How do we move this from discussion to individual action? So if anyone has any great aha moments, please share what, what action items I encourage everyone, pen and paper, write down, what out of this discussion can you go and within 24 hours implement either in your organization, um, do as a consultant, share with a higher up, uh, what's an action item that you can pull from today to make this discussion a reality? I'm going to go to Nastasha next. Nastasha, I know you, you have some comments based on what, what has been talked about. And also you're really heavy on the data and analytics side, Nastasha. And I wonder, I'm wondering, you know, what are we looking at in terms of the employee life cycle? on how, you know, how do we move, how, you know, what's the impact of the onboarding experience? Uh, what's the longevity of that in terms of the impact? And then how do we keep employees and maybe even some methods? Oh, I want to get to that too in, the, in our discussion. What are some methods that we can, as an organization, start to really um, get our employees to be advocates to take our employer brand as they see it and share that to the rest of the world, Nastasha? All right. Hi, everyone. Absolutely love this topic. Um, I used to manage onboarding in previous roles and how I used to think of it was with the three eyes. So introduction, induction, and then investment. So introduction is the orientation piece where, of course, you introduce the person to the org, you get them started with all the information that they need to know. Induction is more of the onboarding where it's long term, it's ongoing, um, not just getting them with the information that they need to know, but making sure they understand their role, where they fit within the organization, um, curating that experience for your new associate or new employee to make sure that they get the best out of what they want from this experience as well. And that's a mutual relationship. And then investment should be anything with like professional development, um, engagement even on that associate's end. And just like what Jeremy had said, you want them to have that emotional attachment to the organization because that increases loyalty, that also increases employee engagement as well and just the longevity of that person. Um, some of the beneficial things that I'd implemented before that were game changers and they seem so simple is just um, ensuring that the person knows who they should go to for certain things. So having like a points of contact list, even though you have your buddy, it's important to know where you get certain resources from. I used to also do a systems orientation separate from just overall organization orientation where this is how you log into your benefits. These are the systems that you'll be using for your role. This is how you get signed up. Because if you think about it from the perspective of this is the person's first day, they're coming from another organization, Yes, they have certain foundational skills that you're looking for in this associate, but this is a completely new environment. And sometimes they're taking over things like, okay, I'm coming into this. I need to figure out my benefits ASAP. Stuff like that you want to get sorted early on just so it's not distracting from what they need to do in general with, um, with the new role that they're in. In terms of, you know, assessments or 
analysis around onboarding. Um, I had done surveys, so that 30, 60, 90 day survey to check in. Um, the survey just wasn't for the new hire as well, but also for the hiring manager or um, the person's manager, their direct manager as well to kind of get their feedback or identify any gaps that there might be in terms of, well, the new associate doesn't think this is going well, but the manager does. And then having a conversation with them both to kind of see where that gap is, how we can improve that. And I want to also address the question that we had earlier of what is the um, takeaway or what's in it for me, for the hiring manager and for the direct manager. Well, if you want to look at it from a return on investment perspective, that's what's in it for you as well, because you won't have to um, expend resources trying to replace a person that just started because they're not happy with the onboarding process. But you can actually use that to get at that third eye, which is investing in them for professional development or, you know, improving things within the organization as opposed to frequently hiring for this position because your onboarding process is not great. So I think that's also good um, as another kind of analysis piece, looking at the return on investment. Um, quality of hire metric is another one that we do. So you look at um, in terms of when the person was hired, what their performance is at certain points, whenever you have your performance reviews, um, what I guess it would depend also too on the role that they're in and kind of how they're contributing to your organization, but you can look at that as well. Um, if you have certain goals in the org, like diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is a major thing for most organizations now, they'll look at onboarding metrics for that as well to see how they're matching up against those goals, as well as the tenure for or, um, employees that stay that fit those different categories also. That was a mouthful, but <laughs> that's what I had to share because I have to run for a meeting shortly. That's brilliant. I didn't expect anything less. Very, that's a very process oriented, such strong nuggets. Um, feel free, feel free to write, write that up and uh, you know, we'll, we'll share it with the world. That's very, very valuable. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, I'm going to go to, uh, I see up top, I see everyone's hands raised. So if you could just put them down and then back up just to make sure that you still want your hand raised or have a question you know, please stay up here, but I don't know who's or continue. To, I want to go to Robin. Um, I want to go to Robin next to get her take. Uh, Robin, Robin works for a, a huge hospitality company that has, you know, year round 3000. You can tell me if I'm wrong, Robin, 3000 people. And um, you know, when, once the summer hits the, you know, you're looking at an increase of six to 7,000 people just within a few short months. So it's a very, very quick onboarding process for the, the boots on the ground per se. And the need to attract and retain, you know, not, not, not top tier talent, but really these frontline workers, that's, there's huge opportunity there for the employer brand, because you want people not only coming back, but you also want them to tell their friends and tell their friends and tell their friends to work in this hospitality industry. So I want to get just your, what, what, what are your take and what are your thoughts on how organizations can um, use their employees to, to get even more and more, even, you know, frontline talent. Robin, what do you, what, what say you? Yes. Thank you. Yeah, luckily our department only deals with a small percentage of uh, the influx of seasonal employees that we have come into our, our company as a whole. Um, but in our department specifically, uh, we take training very seriously. Um, we have a lot of information that we have to, 
um, get to our new hires um, in a, a relatively quick period of time, but we still take a couple of weeks to get that to them um, in a couple different ways. Uh, we do in-classroom training. Uh, we do hands-on um, when we're able to uh, on property tours. Uh, we do um, hands-on computer training um, when we're able to, and then we do also one-on-one um, -on -one training with existing employees. So they're able to sit with someone and learn directly from them as well um, as our training manager. So by mixing different ways of learning, it does help um, assimilate the information in different ways that everyone learns. So by having such a robust training program, um, not only does it make our staff feel more confident when they're on their own, um, but they're able to have different touch points and not only in our department, but in the whole entire company. So they know who to reach out to. And all of our managers stay very visible um, so that there is no intimidation of who to reach out to. Um, they know very clearly that we are all there. We're all able to be reached out to from the training manager all the way up to the director of our company, uh, our department, um, so that everyone is very visible and able to be reached out to at a moment's notice. That's a great share and a great insight. Uh, I'm going to throw the I'm going to throw the moderation. Tom, I uh, see you're done with the event you just had, and Sarah, you're out of your meeting. So welcome, 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 Tom. I'm oh, I'm going to actually I'm, I'll make you two moderators, but Tom, I'm going to throw moderation over to you. And right before I do that, this is going to sound like I'm trying to plug, uh, you know, anything I wrote or CBOC. I share this because it's helpful. I wrote a, uh, there, there's a blog that I wrote a long time ago. I posted the link in that group, in that group on CBOC. And also if you search the title of it, you can go to the blogs on the site. It's called put a spring in your recruiting step while keeping more of the employees. You have a slight twist and it's a, gosh, it's a, it's a long blog. And I have this uh, email template that I put in there that can be sent out to employees to help the help HR in their recruiting efforts. And it's funny because when I talk about this, I've gotten some some flack for it and said, you know, why why would a company engage their employees? And I've got have some people that say we would never send an email like that. I kind of like the idea. So feel free. It's at the end of that blog to to provide feedback. Um, in, in, in the group, uh, see whether you agree or, or disagree. Um, it's interesting. And I'm going to throw it, uh, Sarah, I want to get your take on what Robin said or what your initial thoughts are with our discussion. And then I see that Linda, Ann and Brendan, Brendan, you have your hands up. So Tom, I'm going to leave it all up to you moving forward. Uh, let's go over to Sarah. My mic is off. Hello, everyone, and I apologize for my tardiness. I was on a call, and for whatever reason, this did not populate in my calendar like it always does. So I apologize. I am here now. Um, great discussion today. I'm sorry I'm joining in at the last second, but it really is at the end of the day about coming up with those key action items like Jeremy is saying. These conversations are fantastic, and really the way that we benefit from them is from that cumulative experience. You know, one of us might have 10 years of experience, but all of us in the room that can equate up to hundreds of years of experience, depending on how many people are in, in these given events at any given time. So it really is about listening, being open to experimenting with new ideas as well. So if you are already gainfully employed, 
Um, you probably already know that there is a tendency to want to stick with what has worked in the past and, and never deviate from that. Um, I would caution that. Um, just make sure that you're always kind of testing the water, doing the A-B tests. I do have a testing background, so I'm biased to that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just, I'm super excited to be part of this conversation. I thought it was a very interesting topic and I'd just like to hear more from others moving forward. Oh, and congratulations on Brittany's post yesterday. I saw on LinkedIn, Brittany uh, creating that infographic. Thank you so much for everything you do for the IO community. It does not go unnoticed. Yeah, thank you very much, Brittany. I caught that as well myself. Um, <laughs> Um, Jeremy, I can't actually see people's hands, whether they're up or down. Uh, oh, wait, I see Tripp's hand up. Uh, Tripp, let's go to you. Yeah, you know, one of the things that everyone was talking about, I was just thinking a couple of ideas. What we haven't brought into this equation on the onboarding is the family. And one of the ways I've done that, especially in service industries in particular, is giving logo wear. You know, send a hat or a shirt home with uh, when you get to start, the person starts out and they go home and they wear it everywhere they go. And it's a great recruiting tool for you as well as somebody belonging to the community. I think we underestimate the value of a, a $20 or $15 hat to make a huge difference in the community that they're in. Also, the family members. In other words, there's a lot of stress for family members when people start new jobs. They're not always in the most pleasant moods as they go through that process. So one of the things I used to do is I would give out gift cards where they could take their spouse to or partner to to dinner. Again, I'm spending a lot of money, so I like doing that. Uh, that's why my that's why I think my clients love me, right? I love to spend their money. But the, I'll tell you the other part of this, is, and this is something that hasn't come up yet. What's it cost to lose that person who came on with you? What's the cost to your organization if a person you hire doesn't stay with you? And if it's especially in the first three to four weeks, what's that cost you? A typical employee will cost you up to two times their salary if, if, if they don't stay a year. So when you think about spending money, and if you're trying to make the case to people who uh, are, are typically very tight-fisted with the dollars on their early adoption of their employees, oh, we don't want to buy T-shirts, we don't want to buy hats, we don't want to take them out to dinner, just ask them what it costs if we don't keep the person, especially today. I think employee retention is a huge element of what we're talking about. And it's a really very costly if you don't. And I think part of our jobs as advisors to a lot of the people who don't want to do this is to help them understand the real cost if they don't keep these employees. Because sometimes it's easy to say, oh, they're on board. Hey, we've got through this. And I think what Linda Ann shared is so important. But I also think, what if we don't? You know, I've seen too many times when I've walked into organizations where I've been walking around uh, the other thing is put up, uh, you know, I used to put up a sign on the desk. <laughs> you can, this is why people love me as a boss, right? Uh, but I used to also let people know who was new. Create classes. If you're going to have people uh, hire a group of people, for example, for some particular skill you need, like uh, customer service, have a class T-shirt with, you know, I went through summer. I went through my training summer 2020. I mean, you 2020, you can tell how old I am. Uh, but think about all the different ways you can do it. The other is, if you really want to get attention for those employees, put it in a newsletter. Put their names in there. Welcome aboard. Put the pictures in there, a little bio underneath them. Let them write their own bio. And you'll find this all helps cement that relationship. And it also allows for you to let people know they join your, your team.
Thank you, Tom. And, yeah, great advice, Trip. Um, Jeremy, let's go to you. Yeah, just quick. Trip made me think of this. Uh, the former CEO of a company I used to work with, would, um, I'm sure, I think he said he heard it from somewhere else, but he would always get the question, you know, what happens if you train people, if you spend the money and the time to, to train people and, and onboard them properly and they, and they leave, just they end up leaving your company. And his response was, well, what happens if um, you don't spend the time to onboard them properly and don't train them and they stay? I just wanted to add that back to you, Tom. Yeah, that's a great point, Jeremy. Um, let me throw something out there as well that, oh, wait, actually, Linda Adams, uh, Linda, Linda Ann, sorry, let's go to you. Um, I can't ex agree with Trip enough on, you know, the cost of the turnover. And so many companies don't even acknowledge the cost of turnover because they they just see it as, well, there was a problem with that person. And the um the the cost and the burden that it costs causes all the other staff members and the toll it takes on the rest of your staff is enormous and so yeah the 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 investment in an employee is there's a huge return on it and the cost of of turnover is far greater than anybody um realizes and it's not just monetary you take a hit on it with, you know, your um, your branding. Your which is is that the next conversation we're having about employer branding? It 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 it's a huge hit in so many ways. Thank you very much for that, Linda. Ann. And you, know, you can agree with Trip as little as you want. He probably <laughs> wouldn't mind. Um, <laughs> but let me ask you this, and I'll throw it to the floor. So, if we want to retain employees if we want them to promote the brand, if we want them in a way to be salespeople, especially when it comes to the area of recruitment, you know, they're going to be talking about their experience. And what I'm hearing is that it's community. They want to feel a part of something bigger than themselves. It's about uh, having a great work-life balance. And from the numbers that I'm seeing, the younger you are, the more you care about that combination. And it's also that employees need to feel like they're not only appreciated, but the organization is going to work with them to advance their career. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> uh, Brendan, let's go to you on that. So I think you touched on something that's um, just something that I've experienced over the last couple of years is that it's great to have all these programs and to have this outward appearance that um, you're trying to be progressive with, with making sure your employees are happy, that you have a great culture and those types of things. But is it, is it, is it really an appearance or is it actually going on at your organization? Because you can make it look like however you want to the outside world, but once they get into your organization, they go, wow, you kind of sold me a bill of goods. And I really thought the culture would be a lot more different than what I saw from the outside looking in. And then now when I'm inside, it's not quite the same. So are, are, you, are you really committed to making this just an appearance or are you really committed to this is what the organization is and who the organization should be? just kind of an experience that I've had myself. Well, then let me ask you, Brendan, and I'll throw this to the rest of the floor as well. 
how do we call those employers out? How do we not only call them out, but get to, but, but move them to action so that what we see on paper before we go into the organization is what we actually experience? That's a great question. Um, definitely having an influence on organizational culture and understanding that the culture comes from the top down, but everyone is involved in the culture. It's not just, I think I, I feel like a broken record. I think I've said this so many times on these calls, but your culture is not, it's not coffee. It's not once in a while doing these sorts of activities. It's making sure that this is happening on a day-to-day basis and that everyone is in line with those values. I think that's great advice. Trip. let's go to you. You know, one of the things that's interesting, I'm going to follow, since I get to follow Brendan for once, this is better, right? Um, Brendan, I, I think the other part of this is what the good news is most companies who are lazy about their internal things that they do are not going to go out of their way to make this thing appear the right way. The other question, though, is, and I think this is kind of interesting, especially when you start to look at t- tools like Glassdoor that are out there now, there are a lot of different kinds of employer rating services. And I got to tell you, um, if, if you're looking for a job and you don't look at those, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, but I also would tell you as a statistical person that, you know, the, the people who complain are going to be about eight times more than the people who are positive. But take an opportunity. One of the things that's funny to me is the, the good news about bad employers is it gets around pretty quickly. We live in a very small world no matter where you're at. But the, 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 the opposite of that rule is that you can really make a huge impact with little things. I, I work with Microsoft a lot uh, over the years and still do. And one of the, the funny stories is that the CEO sends out personal notes to many of the people they hire on a regular basis. And they're really personal notes, not just, you know, form letters. I think there's so many ways of helping this. But the other is do you, we do ourselves a disservice uh, when we don't talk about what our employee experience is when we work for a company, especially after we leave. Because I think I always tell people it's better out of the military, always better to dodge a bullet than take one. I think so many times people could have been warned on some of these kinds of things and they don't do it. Um, so I think part of our role is to take the time if we have a bad experience or if we have a good experience to sit down and put something on Glassdoor. Take the time to do that because it's, it's going to pay off exponentially for yourself uh, from the point of view of building a a stronger community around what you do. Because the bad companies, I hate to say this, but the bad companies, we know who they are. I know because I've been sued by a number of them (laughs) over the years by talking about bad companies in open forums. Um, and And I think now we have so many different platforms available to us to learn what's going on and to reach out. You're doing yourself a disservice in your career if you're not asking and talking to people before you go to work for them that aren't the people you're talking to in the interview. And if employers don't like that, tough. Because I think if you can't produce a good culture, you're doing no one a favor. And I think that there's so many tools out there, but that the, the tools only work if we use them. You know, I call people on Glassdoor, I always call the CEO and say, hey, you got a bad review. What are you doing about it? If the CEO tells I don't care, they're not going to be a client, but more importantly, it tells me what why they got the bad review to start with. So take the time to find these new tools that are out there. And that's the other part of this kind of a group like this. We all know who the bad people are who keep hiring people and turning them over every 90 days. But make sure you let people know that. You know, Tripp, since you brought up the, the idea of tools, um, you know, and, and I know that, you know, 
one of the things you do is you stay very up to date on technology and those new tools. Um, Deep Dive is a great audio platform, but what other tools can we be implementing to build that cultural community in a positive way? Well, I'm a big LinkedIn fan. I think it's just going to continue to evolve and grow, and, and I think it's going to have a lot of interesting capabilities. So obviously, and to be honest, I was a regional president for Microsoft, so I, I have a, a bias towards the, their, their programs to start with. But I think the other part of that is I think even there, you have to pick your, your platform. You know, these kinds of groups like we have here and on LinkedIn and all these different places are all great vehicles. But yet again, you form your own. If there's a particular area of interest, take the initiative to form these kinds of groups. You'll be surprised who you get in them. But I'm using LinkedIn a lot right now. Uh, I'm also on uh, Clubhouse, obviously, because uh, the, the, one of the initial investors I know. Uh, so I'm, I'm continuing to support that platform. The other is be willing to try new things. For example, Twitter's got a lot of stuff going on. I used to think I'm not really a big fan of Twitter's. Um, but I think we, as part of our jobs, is we need to use all these tools. And we need to be willing to try new tools and come back. You can have a very average product at some point. And it changes over time when they have new leadership. So my answer is I, I'm always looking for new ideas. The other is look at where people look for jobs. There's a lot of tools coming up with rating systems there. You know, Glassdoor was, a, you know, kind of a pioneer in that field. But I think there's, I've, I've been told there's 25 different uh, employee evaluation services available to review that for no cost that you can put a review in and get all the information on one other part, which is salaries. That's the other thing about this is a lot of the things that used to be deep, dark secrets, they're coming out of the closet and they're able to help you get a better job and a better offer. So thanks for asking. Oh, you're very welcome. That's great to know. And Jeremy, it's great to see your hand up. Uh, let's go to you because I also have a question for you as well. But let's, uh, let's, let's open your mic and go with you first. Great, thanks. And I want to make sure we get uh, Angelo's comments before we head out. So we're looking at five minutes left. We are going to leave this room and click uh, at one o'clock Eastern time in five minutes. We're going to go and switch to the other room like we normally do. Uh, how managers, how your managers can be more effective with employee concerns. So just wanted to let everyone know that. Um, I had two things to mention. So if any, if we, we mentioned deep dive, and, we, and Tom, you just asked if um, you know, what are other tools that organizations can use? I really like deep dive because they have, and I've, I've learned that they have a, a pilot program. It's a free pilot program. They just got off their uh, pilot program with, um, Volkswagen, right? Cause it's a new format and they're, they're continuing looking for investors. So they need data, they need, they need user data and analytics. So they're offering free pilot programs for organizations. And if anyone has in their organization, um, you know, my thought, if I was in an organization, I'd say, all right, I want to be the hero and, and suggest this. I, that's one of the reasons I really like it is because they have this enterprise solution where it can, you can mimic different, whether it's a hybrid, remote, or a displaced geographically team, you can mimic, you can create a, um, an a solution just for a company and their employees log in and they see the break room, they see you know the conference room, they see whatever, they can have pop-up meetings, managers can use it for their specific teams. So it's pretty versatile in that regard. CEOs can go on and, and just do, um, you, know, they, you can do town halls. There's a lot of different things. So if anyone thinks that, hey, this might be something, it's a free pilot program uh, that you might want to introduce to an organization that either you consult with 
or you're in, just contact me, let me know. Um, I have uh, a couple one-sheeter. I have three actually one-sheeters that provide the data from the Volkswagen um, case study and three other use case scenarios and then a, a description. So feel free to do that. I also wanted to mention, um, I received a LinkedIn message recently. Someone, if anyone knows of any general HR positions that are open, uh, preferably, I think preferably remote, I'll have to look back. I guess it doesn't do any good if I don't know the geography of it. Um, then let, let me know. And the other thing I'll have to let, uh, I'll have to reach back. It's, she, uh, she's a recent, uh, MA masters in IO, uh, last year. I don't have to reach out to this person. Maybe I'll get her in touch with Brittany. Who's great with those conversations. And also to have that conversation of, is it really, you know, you've, we, we've had this conversation many times at deep dive, you graduate with an, uh, an, uh, an IO degree and do we really want to get pinholed into HR and how likely is that to be right along with our passions and our talents and ambitions? Um, and I actually I should have noticed it's either remote or in um, Virginia, like the DC area, Fairfax County, Virginia. I should have remembered that's where my wife's from that, that area. Um, good area. So feel free to let me know if anything, any of the buzzes around with an open position. So Tom, I'm going to throw, actually, if, if it's okay, Tom, I, you had a question, but I want to make sure we get Angelo in here quick before um, I've got to go open up that room. Tom, follow me in that room, if you will, please. And then I'll answer the question that you had. Angelo, do you have a quick comment that you'd like yeah, to ask? Thanks. And Angelo, please, of course, follow us as well to the other room. For sure. Yeah, um, there's not probably not too much I can add to this that hasn't been said. I think, you know, identifying a strong culture and building one is imperative, you know, especially this day and age where we're looking at the workforce really paying attention to the tools that were already mentioned, right? LinkedIn, um, Glassdoor, looking at employee reviews, looking for those clear, measurable things that they're looking for at a baseline, like a pay, like a equitable pay, Um and really, you know, to remember these cultural things are implemented top down, but they're carried out bottom up, right? You really have to connect with the people who are going to be doing those things um, that you're identifying in those original culture plans and changing your organizational culture. So it, it's good to have a clear identified path with some measurable metrics to act on and to measure your progress. But it's also just as important to have some adaptability built in because, again, this you know, millennials, Gen Z, they're really looking at some of those social and economic scores and how their ideas are carried out and supported by employers. So it's, it's pretty exciting, I think, to see all these changes and see what the room for opportunity and growth within everything. Angelo, thank you for that. It's a good closing point. Um, a clear path. Barking dogs are less scary at night. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close the room and we'll jump over to the next one, how your managers can be more effective when dealing with employee concerns. Close the room. Thank you all in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.